Epinephrines is a mature podcast for adults, even though sometimes I like to make random noises in my sleep. That was just me making noises. I'm not actually sleeping. Listening discretion is advised. I'm going to eat a stick of butter before I leave because you told me (laughs) (laughs) that's going to be my fatty food. And she looks at me and she's like, we have three more of these to go. And if I have to open one more, you're never allowed in my (laughs) OR again. Actually, I think I did take nutrition. You took it as an elective? Yeah. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's got quinoa. What is that? It's like rice, but not as good as plain rice. (laughs) Oh. Communication is key. I recently took a priority one call from a frantic EMT who said that they had a patient coming in with stabbing chest pain. I got the staff ready for an anticipated STEMI. EMS failed to convey that the patient did not have stabbing chest pain. He actually had stabbing, comma, chest pain from a screwdriver that wound up in his chest. The patient did quite well, but my favorite part of the story, and this is true, was when my fantastic nurse asked the patient, To describe their pain, is it sharp, dull, aching, or stabbing? Stifling a laugh, I thought, yeah, it does feel like someone is poking you in the chest with a knife, doesn't it? Communication. We must strive to speak the same language as our patients. In medicine, we often use a varying vernacular to convey the same ideas. I once had an interaction with a young woman accompanied by her mother. The mother understood, yet my patient needed her mother as a English-to-English translator. The interaction went like this. Me, are you having any vaginal discharge? Patient, huh? Me, from your vagina, are you having discharge? Her, what? Looking to her mother for clarification. Mom, girl, are you creaming? Her, oh yeah. Ah yes, communication is the key. How about the overhead codes in the emergency department? I currently only know three of the possible thousand codes that occasionally are blurted overhead. Code blue means someone is somewhere dying. Code red means, well, it's supposed to mean fire, but it usually means someone is smoking in the stairwell. And now there's an administration code that was recently added, which is code purple active gunman. If someone has a gun and we're trying to avoid him, we say code purple active gunman. Why do we say code purple first? We should just change it to code get the heck out of here. Well, bureaucrats have never been known to decrease complexity. Regardless, we must strive to have language that everyone understands. Younger patients often lack medical knowledge, and we must try even harder to communicate clearly. I had another interaction with a patient who had overdosed on several male enhancement drugs he got at a gas station, and I had to explain priapism to him in terms he could understand. Just a quick word to the wise, do not Google priapism at work. In fact, do not Google priapism at all. Awful, disturbing, and terrible pictures await you if you do that. Okay, are you back from pausing and looking at those? My patient loved Harry Potter, so I explained priapism in terms he could understand. Me. You see, priapism is when a special part of the man, let's call it the man's Voldemort, gets really, really firm. Normally, when a couple loves each other, they make sweet, sweet Dumbledore to each other. And after making Dumbledore, the Voldemort normally becomes quite Hermione after you Quidditch in a woman's Hagrid. Sometimes, men have difficulty getting the Voldemort completely firm, or in medical terms, Neville. 
If a man uses a poultice or elixir to make the Voldemort artificially Neville, it can become Neville for a prolonged period of time and becomes quite painful. Most doctors advise that if you have a Neville Voldemort for over five hours, you should get it checked out. This is called priapism, and it's no laughing matter. Several options exist to solve the riddle of priapism. You can try a drug called terbutaline, which rarely works. More horrendous options exist that actually do work. One can perform a ring block around the Voldemort and ram a 19-gauge needle into the Voldemort and drain off several ounces of Weasley. Another option is to inject phenylephrine directly into the Voldemort. This is what the urologist suggested for me to do. So I looked directly into his Voldemort and plunged in for the kill. I would have yelled myself if not for the awkwardness at grabbing another guy's fully Neville Voldemort. Five minutes later, his Voldemort was no longer Neville. In fact, it was completely Hermione, so everyone was happy. Remember, communication is the key. Thank you for listening yet again to Epinephrines. Here we are, as always, with the Epinephrines. Why don't you get us started there, Case? All right. Uh, my name is Casey Brandt. I'm a clinical pharmacist. One of my favorite songs to listen to on the way into work is... I was listening to um, Comfort Eagle by Cake and talks about how they're building a religion, a limited edition, and it's just, it's very culty and uh, very, sounds very, feels very re relevant sometimes. So if you haven't heard it, it's a really good cake, I'm a cake fan. So um, it's, a good, it's a good song. <laughs> Listen to that sometimes. Very catchy. Um, my name's Jacob Barnett, and I am a physician assistant in the emergency department. I've not been listening to this song at, on my way to work, but the song that popped into my head when we started talking about medical reference songs was No Scrubs, um, just because it has the word scrubs in it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's a song about walking around naked. I guess, if you put it in the medical contents. Uh, contents uh, but that's, that's the only thing that popped into my head. I'm Rob Brandt, and um, the song that actually is kind of funny that's <laughs> been in my head is um i've been recently listening to flight of the concords i guess for soon to be found out obvious reasons because i'm going to be going to new zealand and um there was a song where it's like it starts off as this touching song between a dad and his son i don't know if you've heard this song by them before and it's like hey dad yeah son and it's like kind of like touching back and forth and then and then it kind of gets it starts getting almost a little dark because it's like I'll be there because your mom died. And then, and, you know, and, the, and then the son saying, it's like, hey, dad, mom didn't really die. She just moved away because she was sick of you. And she's living with Trevor now. And it's really cool. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my gosh, it is really, really funny. So out of the Concords, if you haven't listened to them, are hilarious. Um, my name's Jen James. I am also a PA in the emergency department. Um, when we started talking about songs, the first song that popped into my head was... Um, lady gaga's uh edge of glory and i think it popped into my head because when i was in school before like every exam we would listen to this in the car on our way to school it was like our hype song <laughs> that <laughs> edge of glory yeah what is edge of glory the standing on the edge of glory if only for a moment with you it's just like yeah i'm on the edge of glory <laughs> you'll have to okay. google it and I'm it's gonna a, totally it's a good pump-up song. It is. It's a good hype song. 
Yeah, the oh, other man. one, the other one I listened to on the way in, I think, is um, "Start a Riot" by Duckworth. It's like a who in here trying to start a riot on the way in. And I think about like whenever somebody rips their mask off, and I'm like, I'm not gonna wear this. Like everybody spins around in their chairs in the emergency department and looks at them and like stands up simultaneously, and like security <laughs> comes in. Um, <laughs> that's the other one I listen to on the way in when I'm like, okay, oh, gotta get awesome. ready for today again. <laughs> another day another person acting a fool yeah mm -hmm. mostly it's oh, fine man. duckworth that's amazing well, i did listen i think when i was studying for um what was it It was probably either step one or step two like mm -hmm. every day on the way to the library i would be listening to like one shot by eminem <laughs> like getting pumped to study <laughs> this is not the this is i am not the target demographic to get pumped up from this song but i was like what i was like you got one shot one opportunity to take this awful test are you gonna <laughs> capture it or let it slip <laughs> yeah i'm gonna study so hard <laughs> whatever you have to do <laughs> absolutely oh well this episode is all about communications and errors in communication but the er is an interesting place because we see people with all sort of different levels of cognitive abilities so it's interesting because sometimes you have to talk to people which could be about the exact same thing whether you know you could be explaining you know somebody's got diverticulitis or somebody's got this ailment but you have to explain it in different ways to different people depending on whether or not they're going to understand it so it's kind of you know communication can be really hard to make sure that everybody understands it so just curious if you guys had any uh errors or difficulties with communication or communication stories or thoughts what do you think well you mentioned um cognitive abilities but also just different backgrounds and different um uh, like different i don't know just different languages and um when we're talking to people, I think it's um, important sometimes uh, to try to understand even like getting a history or talking to them what they're talking about. Um, I remember one time I was working with uh, a, a doc that was um, talking to a patient and they came out of the room and they were really frustrated and they were like, okay, when I'm talking to somebody and they tell me they got curb stomped. I, I don't know, like, I don't know what that means. And so I have to come look it up. And then like, internet security here has urban dictionary blocked and i <laughs> i don't even know what to do with that because like i want to describe what curb stomp means accurately and i don't want to have the person that just got curb stomped be like tell me exactly you know what it means to get curb stomped because you know like yeah i just want yeah. i just want to look it up and you know say that yeah they put my head on the curb and they stomped on it like i don't want to be like so i can't access urban dictionary right now and like google won't let me get to any of the sites that talk about what that means so i just need you to really just draw it out for me like ah! like i was like mm. they're like oh, i'm just gonna look it up on my phone um <laughs> uh, yeah i was like mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I think they. I think there was a good movie that had like an awful curb stomping oh, in it. American History X. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, with Edward I mean, Norton. Terrible very graphic, but it's like here, watch this scene. Yeah, ah! yeah, that's it's very graphic. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen to people. And it's like when you get taught in very technical terms, like how people get injured and what happens to them and anatomy and stuff. It you know, there's a discount. This is why you have post school training and you know clinical rotations and things like that. Um, because 
you're going to come out of there and not knowing exactly how to talk to people and understand what they're saying and um, have things described to you. So that's what that yeah, real world experience is for. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. Cause I, I remember specifically um, like right between doing my med school rotations and going into residency. Like I remember rotating with, Oh man, I'm not going to call anyone out, but a neurologist in med school and <laughs> like she was trying to explain this stuff to the patient and like you know i understood a lot of neurology because i'd just taken it all and she's talking to these patients and she's using just hyper specific neurological terms that you i mean i barely understood and she was going so fast i'm like okay you're a good example of what not to do because mm -hmm. the patient, I mean, just like, well, when you have myasthenia gravis and you're overexerting the proximal muscles, you're obviously going to see that in the patients are like, uh, 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 uh huh. And then she walks out. And I'm like, they have no clue what you just told them. Uh, what are you doing? Well, and I think, too, there's been a lot of research that shows like patients and family members that are with patients get overwhelmed in these medical environments if it's not something that they're used to. Um this was a while ago, but I remember reading an article that stressed the importance of kind of discharge instructions because on average, a patient would remember three things that occurred, like things that you say while you're in the emergency department. So if they remember your name, that's already one thing. So they only have two more spots of <laughs> instruction. <laughs> and, and generally, like, especially... You know, depending on what your complaint is coming in, we're going to have more than, you know, one or two things that we really want you to address following your visit. Um, yeah. No, so just like stressing, like I, you know, when you go in and you're having that discussion at the end of their visit and you're talking about their, you know, the studies that you ran and those results and what it ruled out and what it left as a possibility and what the next steps are and what treatment. And they're just looking at you and they just keep going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you're like, do you have any questions? And they're like, no, no. it's because like they're on complete overload. <laughs> I have and so I always tell them, like, I will write everything down. Like, I will put everything in your discharge paperwork. We're going to give you prescriptions for everything. So you'll know exactly how to take the medications. Um, but it's it's overwhelming, especially if you don't have a background in medicine. That that reminds me of a specific story. Um, I had I had a um, patient who, she came into the ED, she came into the emergency department, she had just been discharged uh, after two days of experiencing biliary colic. Um, okay. And, you know, finally they had gotten her pain under control, and she had gotten discharged, um, and I was seeing her four hours later after her discharge process had gone off. Um, and the reason why she was back, she didn't quite get why she was back, but her pain was back. And I was like, well, what, you know, what, what have, what's been going on since you've been out of the hospital? She's like, yeah. oh, well, we were so excited that I got out of the hospital that we went to, we went and celebrated <laughs> oh, no. and we got wet burritos oh. on the way home. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like if, you, communication. if you could pick one food to like <laughs> exacerbate your biliary colic, wet burrito is like, like it's <laughs> dictionary. <I know. laughs> There's no fat wet burrito. Right. I'm, I'm going to tell you though, what I did though, I, 
so I think I, I talked about getting my gallbladder out. I, I wanted to find out if this really solved my problem because I, I wanted, I just wanted to see, um, <clears throat> cause people have been like, yeah, I was fine after getting my gallbladder out. And some people are like, no, it's terrible. Life is awful. And so other people were watching, um, my daughter for us, uh, afterward. And so I got home and they were like, Hey, we ordered takeout and it's Chinese. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so <laughs> immediately the next day after I got out, cause I was exhausted. We had an eight month old. I didn't have to cook. And I was like, I want to find out if all of this was because of my gallbladder. And if I can live a normal, would make this better? I can live Pain. a normal life right now. <laughs> and it, I was fine. I was totally fine. Um, oh really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, because the gallbladder okay. was in a bucket somewhere. It was <laughs> not in my body to uh, to bother me. Um, so I was like, end of one, here we go. <laughs> Chicken and rice and here we go. I felt amazing because um, yep. So I did it. Um I, I and you know, nobody had said don't. So <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. when my brother had his gallbladder removed a few years ago. I think Brant, you might have actually been the one that saw him in the ER for part of that. Okay. He convinced my mom to take him to Olive Garden for dinner. <laughs> and he legit ate like this huge bowl of like fettuccine Alfredo, countless breadsticks. And this was like six hours after having his gallbladder out. Mm-hmm. Stop. Yeah. And like <laughs> and before he left the hospital he had to eat so he had like an extra cheese quesadilla a piece of cheesecake mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i'm like you this has to make you feel sick like your mm-hmm. body is like not and he's like i feel fantastic <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about and he just keeps shoveling yeah. the pasta into oh his mouth yeah like, so okay it's the post uh cholecystectomy road test that's what it is <laughs> yeah go hard or go home i want to yeah oh, i'm not man. leaving this hospital until i make sure every piece of that stupid gallbladder is gone because you're going back in there and taking it out if any of this cheesecake flares it up <laughs> I'm telling you right now that I'm going to, because you didn't tell me there's a warranty on this surgery. And so I'm testing it out before I go. I, I'm i going to eat a stick of butter before I leave because you told me this is exacerbated by fatty foods. And so I'm not paying another copay to come back here and have you guys be like, well, I guess we didn't get it all. <laughs> so you better get a whole cheesecake my- out here. <laughs> Make me a pot roast, and then just you know how they have that just slab of fat on that. Cut that off, and I'm gonna yep. eat just that to see if this gallbladder gets ticked off. Yeah, it's I am. Fat and butter, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even though I work for the hospital and I have insurance, I still have copays and I have a deductible, and I have <laughs> yeah. I have met it this one stay. Casey, why does that make me think of like you know like after you have a baby and they show you your placenta and how mm-hmm. it's whole to like mm-hmm. prove like. Why I wish uh, lap coles were done like under consciously, you know, semi conscious sedation, and then they like held your gallbladder out. Here's your gallbladder fully intact, replacing it over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they and, like open it up in front of you and like release like 500 gallstones. Like, mm, here they are. Yes, mm. that reminds me. When I did my surgical rotation in school, we I was like the curse of the gallbladders. Mm-hmm. We had like a Wednesday morning where the one surgeon had like five lap coles scheduled. Oh my and first one, 
gets converted to open because the gallbladder had like ruptured. And she's like, okay, like this patient got admitted last night. It was an add-on. She's like, this happens sometimes. So we get that case done. We go to the second one. Gets converted to an open because the lady had like a porcelain gallbladder and like she needed to get in there to really clean everything out. And she looks at me and she's like, we have three more of these to go. And if I have to open one more, you're never allowed in my OR again. (laughs) I'm like, crap. So we get to number three and we do it. We get it done as a lap. But this lady's gallbladder was literally like a foot long. <laughs> what? And so she had it in a biohazard bag because she's like, I need to show the patient this. Like they need to know, like this is what was causing their problems. <laughs> Looks like a banana or something. Do like they a giant oversized greenish banana. And sure, like she actually when we followed up on the, run it on the patient later before discharge, because, you know, it's the same day procedure. Mm-hmm. She brought in this gallbladder <laughs> to show the patient. <laughs> That's awesome. I did get kicked out of the OR, though, because the next one we had to convert to open. And she's like, help. <laughs> I was like, okay. I can't really disagree. So what did, Jacob, what did, so what did your patient, like, say after you got done saying, um, so maybe if you're here because of, did you have to like re-explain everything? Like, I, so fatty foods include wet burritos. Or... <laughs> I think it was like, oh, okay. Um, that was probably not the best choice. Um, <laughs> I tried to kind of ease them into understanding. I, I, I can't even remember. I, it was a few years ago. So I'm not sure if we, I don't think we ended up readmitting her, but it was... It was like one of those, I may have ca- had to call the surgeon again, and I believe the surgeon was like, a what? Like, just, you know, <laughs> they couldn't believe it either. So we got you, it under control. Are you surprised that people oh. do not understand the nutritional components of food that do not have a label on it? Like, did they go out to eat? Yeah. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Was- it so was a, maybe somebody was like, "Hey, just have them don't not put cheese on it because cheese has fat in it." <laughs> um, oh yeah, 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 good idea. Wink. Yeah, but extra um, spicy and more onions, please. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> like this, you know? It, what did you get a nutritional education class in high school? I, I yeah, no. All right. Well, actually, I think I did take nutrition. You took it as an elective. Yeah. Good for you. so did you like draw a nice little food pyramid for and explain like where fat is and so this wouldn't happen again probably not oh okay well (laughs) missed opportunity that's the problem yeah you're like you are allowed salad with no no dressing yeah Mm -hmm. i think i was like yeah you're not allowed to eat wet burritos that should have covered it right dry burritos then you're done Fried burritos are fine. Tacos. <laughs> just the wet burritos that are going to make you feel this way. I ever watched the Jim yeah. Gaffigan special where he's like, all right, well, that's a tortilla with meat, cheese, lettuce, and tomato. Okay. Well, what is this? Like, go through the whole menu at the Mexican. Do not go to a Mexican restaurant. Nothing is safe. Like, you can go. so delicious. Yep. You can get an acai bowl or whatever it is. <laughs> Those are fine. And it's $15. So you're going to feel bad about that. And it's not going to taste very good. But and you least, won't be full. Yeah. And you won't be full. You'll be, hungry, you'll be hungry when you finish your last bite. Yeah. Anything that looks like what you would feed a rabbit is fine. 
Other than yes. that, nothing. What, what's safe. in this? Well, it's got quinoa. What, what is that? <laughs> it's like rice, but not as good as plain rice. Mm -hmm. uh, oh. Yeah, Google That's, Gwyneth uh, Peltro eats, and then you uh, can eat that. Has anyone else had? I we we used to feed our children quinoa, and then I stopped because we just perpetually had quinoa on our floor, like. Three days later, like <laughs> felt like grainy quinoa, and I was like, "Yeah, we're done." No, mm, I don't think it's <laughs> like walking around your kitchen barefoot, and it's like you're walking on sand, and you're yes. like, "I don't like this." And you can't; it doesn't sweep up. Like it's just, and it. I think it multiplies. It's like asexual or something like that. Mm, are you saying even the dog wouldn't? <laughs> quinoa is like yes. gremlins. If you feed them after midnight or get them wet, they multiply. You get, yeah, you get quinoa wet, it just <laughs> multiplies into more quinoa. It's, yes. it's kind of like yeast. You just, a little goes a long way and it just keeps getting more and more and more. Mm -hmm. I know, Jacob, I gave you a hard time for not like fixing the problem with that patient, but like literally, were you supposed to or did you have time Probably or the tools? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Like, yeah, where was that supposed to happen? <laughs> yeah. So, this is the mm -hmm. communication problem we're talking about. All right. I have an idea going back to Jen's point about the three things and then Rob's discussion about the neurology uh, education about the myasthenia gravis. What if in the room uh, we have like three slots on a big board? Um, and I said, the, the take home points. Yes. The one, two, three. And so as people go in and they start telling people things, you like write your point and you put it into one of the three positions. And if somebody has a more important point, they like have to take one of the three down and replace it. And then by mm. the end, there's just a bunch of people bickering about what the most important thing is. And like, then it just turns into- Don't in eat fatty food. Hey, yeah, that's yeah. important, but also make your follow-up appointment. Oh. Yeah, and the person that saw you yeah. was Dr. Brandt because I want credit on the Press-Gainey survey. <laughs> and they're just like ripping different like Velcro things off the board, putting things up. And it's like, well, peripheral muscle exhaustion and that gets ripped right off. <laughs> And yeah, throw that out the door. You throw that on the ground. And then we have a little circle right outside the door when you leave the emergency department where the patient is just too exhausted and doesn't understand the paper discharge instructions. It's just, um, it would just call it the MIR circle to make it rain circle. They just throw the papers in the air <laughs> and they come right back in and they want to do over and you have to do it. No, um, no, no. The make just... it rain circle is they go in there, you throw them in the air and whatever ones they can grab as they're falling, that's the one that they get. Yes, that one. Yeah, but oh, it looks like you got. Wait a minute, you got radiation causes cancer. What? Oh, oh that's no. why you got a CT, and somebody told you that. Okay, well, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that's your take-home point. Ah, oh, crap. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you better get right. Each page has something important on it, and uh, and then we have to clean up the MIR area and recycle it all because we're environmentally <laughs> conscious. Especially if you're like a LEED certified or like green building, got to take care of all that. But I got a re I, I got a patient similar to Jacobs that I wanted to to g give a story. Oh. So, um, our hero comes in and she was she looked ill, um, and she said, uh, "Well, I went to the gas station and I got this um, what was it? It was like this plant stuff allegedly for plants at the gas station." And she said, "Yeah, but I mean, you you smoke it." I was like, uh huh. Oh, I know what it, I know what it was. Yeah, you know what it is. Don't, well, I won't no. say anything. But so, so she's like, I feel like I'm gonna die. And I looked at her, and she looked ill, and her heart rate was like 170, and she was crying and saying, I feel like my chest is gonna explode. And then I was like, okay, what did you do? And she says, I did this. And I was like, all right, let's start with this. Never do that 
ever again, ever. And she's like, <laughs> I won't, I won't ever do it. Oh my gosh, you got to help me, Doc. So gave her some medicine and she got admitted to the hospital. And, you know, essentially you, all you do is you, you keep close track of these people and make them feel as comfortable until it wears off. This was my interaction with this human until she came back. <laughs> Please tell two me days later, back. like little like Wayne's world. <laughs> <laughs> two days later, oh my chest is hurting. And I, ma'am, um, you look familiar. <laughs> yeah. Did you perhaps I don't want to jump to conclusions? <laughs> smoke some more. She's like, there's like, you know, a split second of awkward pause, but she's like, yeah, I'm like, what are you? Why? Why? She, I mean, the same thing. She smoked it. I'm like, you know what happened last time? <laughs> yeah, but it's like when you go and eat the fattiest food possible after having your gallbladder out, you got to test it. You got to see if that really was the cause yeah. of all the problems. Yeah, but I mean, if if you got your gallbladder out, then you can test it. But if it happened to you once and somebody said this caused it and you said, yes, I think that caused it. And you feel terrible and you never want that to happen again. I mean, it was a pretty cut and dry, clear, explaining, understanding, but <laughs> apparently not. Did not go in. Well, she, she, okay, so you said, do not do this. And maybe it meant this exact same thing. So maybe she did less, which, you know, so it a was not. One? Like, she did, she smoked less or she like diluted it or. So it was not, I, yeah. you meant like by this, you meant the exact same procedure and the exact same yeah. amount and don't like pre-medicate with Ativan or I'm a pretty beer. Sure it was, I, yeah, I, 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 you know, I feel like I am a pretty decent communicator, but I, I will admit, I don't know where I went wrong, but I went wrong because <laughs> she didn't get it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it, one, yes. of, one of the favorites, one of my favorite sentences that I've had said to me in the past month is uh i believe it was quote cocaine has never done this to me before <laughs> and i was like well i guess that's i mean it has now well, i've heard that before as well and i always say do you really trust the guy you got it from though yeah that's true yeah and then they just kind of look at you like oh oh yeah like the dirty shady guy selling me white powder out of a plastic bag and taking my money and disappearing into the night exactly yeah, fine like maybe there's some issues there well that's a whole nother thing about communication this jumps way back to what jacob was talking about earlier where you wanted to or who, who was talking about looking up stuff on uh urban dictionary, urban dictionary. um as like all of us in the er we have to learn another language, which is like, what what are the different names for things that people use for things? Because, you know, it's like if somebody comes in, it's like, oh, man, I've, I took a bunch of ice and my heart rate's going real fast. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know. That's what meth does. And it's like you just you just go there. Or, I mean, you could go to the 10,000 names for marijuana. And it's just like, OK, yeah. And then people start using like once you get to these designer drugs and people are like, oh, yeah, I did some Molly or or what the uh, the uh, Electric Forest, which is a music festival that happens in uh, the Michigan area when there's not a pandemic and people come in and there'll always be ecstasy, but it's ecstasy plus something and they always give it a new name. So, you know, Molly is very common, but then they start saying, Oh yeah, I took the tapetins and I took the poopalops and I took the libelops. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what any of this means, 
but I do know that you're wearing, you know, a fluorescent bear pony shirt that glows in the dark that's on backwards because you're so high and you've got like face paint melting. So I kind of know what's going on here. <laughs> well, I asked, I asked somebody before and it was like, there's stacks and there's double stacks and like this one stamped with a clover is cut with this and it's just, you know, it's, I mean, it's not standardized. And then you're like, can we get some standardization? And then you're like, wait, no, that's the wrong response. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe maybe we should just not. Uh, See, we need to talk to these drug dealers. Come on, we need to form a union here. Yeah, can you guys, if you guys could just send us a spreadsheet of what's going on before um, when people come in, then, um, uh, you know, then we know what to do. I remember one time, Somebody came in and they were really, really sick. Um, and luckily somebody had come in uh, with this girl and had said, we all, all, four of us did this drug and they called it DVD. And we were like, like, a, like a disc. And then the people that were you know, younger than me were like, what's a DVD? And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, geez. I was like, get out. Um, <laughs> and I was like, can you just focus on taking care of the person and not make me feel old? I will I don't like that. It's what it once existed before the laser discs. Yeah, the yeah, what? yeah. Oh, it's smaller than a Betamax. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like MP3s. But you know, are you? Like, huh. yeah, ha ha ha. I I heard half, about those. half the people listening to this podcast right now are just like, is that a medical term? Is that is that a drug? She's the pharmacist, right? Have you ever taken Betamax? Is that yeah. good for you? Ah. A beta blocker? Yes. Uh -huh. All right, we're gonna move on before I get sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I always get confused when people start talking about the Xanny bars, like bar, uh, like Xanax, isn't it? Brand yeah. Name, yeah. Brand name Xanax. Um, and I don't know if the slang term for a Xanny bar means it actually is built into something you can disguise somewhere, uh, like pull out uh, when you're like, I don't know, and eat for later or something. Like I've heard different things described. I'm not going to get too far into that because I can't exactly remember what the story is, but brand name Xanax, if you look at it, it's like a, a bar that you can break to dose down to like a smaller, so if you have one milligram brand name Xanax, you can split it. It's like scored. Um, so if you Google it, that's, that's what I think of a Xanny bar, but I'm yeah. sure it means something else. Um, so anyway, this sounds like a granola bar. Like, hey, you guys want to try these delicious Zanny bars? Oh yeah, I feel so relaxed after eating those. Yeah, let's go have some Zanny bars. Sure, there's something like I'm sure Urban Dictionary has like seven definitions for it. I'm not looking anything up today. I'm too <laughs> tired. <laughs> Dr. Brandt, you were talking about like learning a new language. And I think that's another place where like our communication skills can be tested in the emergency department with mm -hmm. literally oh, speaking man. different languages. Um, that is so true. I feel like, you know, I mean, classic you know, interpretation communication is you're, you're in the room, you've got the tele-interpreter on the phone, you ask the simplest of questions, do you have a cough? And then it shoots off this, you know, four or five minute back and forth conversation between the patient and the interpreter, and they turn around and they're like, no. And you're like, but what was all of that? Like, what did you... There was more than that! <laughs> And oh, I mean, so and that's a, I just feel like sometimes you're like, I missed something really important yeah. there. Like, what, what was that? 
Um, yeah. I need to know Swahili because something just happened that I don't understand. Yeah. I always get nervous in those situations because I feel like you're always missing some major part of the history that's going to be like the case cracker. And you're yeah. like, yes, uh, now it yeah. all makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I mean, in English, like we're, I mean, all the, yeah, as a provider, you're taught if, if any human says the word dizzy, you never leave it at that because dizzy means so many different things to the to different people. Because you talk to your 89 year old and she says she's dizzy while well, she's having a heart attack, whereas somebody else who says they're dizzy, they just mean that they're having vertigo and they feel like the room's spinning, whereas someone else who's dizzy just feels like they're going to pass out. And which one is it? You have to nail it down. Then if you add on, you know, somebody who speaks Spanish and I will go ahead and hack the Spanish language. Sorry, it's it's like like Mariado or Mariado or something like that. You feel dizzy, but that's the same thing where it can mean many different things. So it's like trying to figure that out even with a language barrier can be really difficult. I mean, we know inherently people who speak a different language, you know, than like than English in America, they get worse care just in general. Like we you know, you we know that. So, and it's probably because sure. there's a language barrier and, um, you know, interpreters not available, but um, you would just obviously get better care going to see somebody that, you know, speaks the language you speak, but that's not always an option. Um, but I mean, even sometimes, you know, it's, it's the same thing though. If people have you know, altered mental status, dementia, like you're not going to get an accurate history. We're really fortunate sometimes to have other ways to figure out what's going on. So you're going to over image or over test or do things of you feel like you're not getting an accurate history but sometimes you can talk to people who speak english and who you feel like you're getting a good history from and not find out what's going on um yes so it's not sometimes feeling like people you're having a good conversation with them and they're answering your questions and then you find out later that that's not actually what was going on they didn't tell you everything is really not reassuring um because you'll read somebody's mm -hmm. note the next day and they'll be like, blah, 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 this, this, and this. And I asked the patient this, and they told me the exact opposite of what the ER provider was able to get out of them. You're like, they didn't tell me that, traitor. And you want to go up and confront them. Just so oh, this is not reassuring. Oh, for the for the med students and, and the residents listening to this, I, I think pretty much anybody who's ever been a resident or a med student can attest, or probably actually, even you know, when you're in you're in PA school, you'll have the exact same thing where it's like you go in take your history, you take your physical, and you are you are always in the room way longer than your attending is. And you go to the attending and you present everything. It's like, this person came in and they say that they, um, you know, have leg pain or whatever. And you're like, oh, you, know, you were thinking about a DVT? Yeah, thinking about a DVT. Did they say anything about chest pain, chest pressure, shortness of breath? Should we be thinking about a PE? And you're like, no, I asked them specifically. <laughs> they said, no chest pain, no chest pressure. So then you go in with your attending, one minute later, and then the attendants go, so any discomfort in your chest? Oh, yeah, my chest been killing me. And you're like, what? You're like, I asked that. I asked that. They mm -hmm. kind of give you that little, the the the, the slow glance towards you, and, and you're like, oh, <laughs> I guess I'm awful. Well, we've almost, I mean, I think uh, with the pandemic going on and visitor restrictions, we've had very similar issues. I, I feel like that's really exacerbated, you know, um, our alter mental status patient communication. Like you get the EMS report, which is always sometimes vague. You know, they called because mm -hmm. grandma wasn't acting right or something like that. Uh, you're not getting much from grandma. You get things started. And then, you know, when you catch a minute, you call daughter, you call son. Um, and then you're like, it's almost like the the window is open. Ah, I see what happened. I see why they're here. Um, which has been much 
it's been much more common in the past nine months that that's been the scenario that I've seen in the emergency department that you you've got to do more than just turn to someone in the room. You have to go out and make a phone call and, you know, sometimes call them back. Yeah, it is hard. That's exactly right. Because if you don't have, especially if you've got these, you know, the 93 year old demented female who comes in and you're like, so what brings you in? Am I in Florida? <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, I have to do some digging here. Cause you're not going to be very helpful with your history. Well, it's like a game of like telephone. You know, it's, you know, they person that was a family member that handed them off, like was trying to talk to EMS, like while they were loading them on the stretcher and they're like, take this bag of belongings with them. And they're probably going to get admitted. And it was like, well, what's going on? I don't know. I'm just here with them. Whoever is here with them all day is at work now. And then, then they have the story and they're like writing their report on the way in, like while they're trying to reassure this person on the way in. And by the time they get there, like they a report to the nurse who gives a report to you and you talk to the patient and they don't know what's going on and you finally call the one family family member who's with them all the time and then you find out everything yeah, like, yeah. okay so the ems has that the, the 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 fifth time from the uh nurse and the nurse is like they're coming in with pain in the abdomen nausea purple onion dinosaur <laughs> what and i think it's a kidney stone yeah. and because that's what the one kid said this always happens with a kidney stone you're like don't I don't want to anchor. Don't tell me that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the other hard things about communication in the ER is like everybody learns differently. And a lot of our job is really education. It's education on whatever disease process we think is going on and the treatment and what caused it and how to prevent it from happening again. And we all have our own style of learning. and. They don't teach you how to teach in medical training. And so you are trying to break down this complex information into terms that patients can understand and try to um, kind of equate it with something in their life. And so I find myself, like I draw a ton of pictures and like, I'm sure people would laugh hysterically if they were to kind of go into a room with me while I'm explaining something and I'm drawing pictures and trying to you know, break it down into simpler parts. You know, they haven't taken a pathophys class. They haven't, you know, done an anatomy. Like, so drawing pictures of different body structures and explaining how things happen. Um, But it's hard because everyone does learn differently. And if your learning styles don't complement each other, it can be hard to to breach that gap. Mm -hmm. Right. I I do the same. Like, I love drawing on the whiteboard, but Mm -hmm. that... You you just refreshed my memory of one of my more embarrassing times in the ER where, um, <laughs> do I want to tell this story? Well, I've come this far. So um, <laughs> patient comes in with, um, we'll say an abscess essentially. And I had to explain what I'm going to do and where I'm going to cut. But it was, you know, it was a female patient and it's, you know, it was right next to the vagina. And it's just like, you know, everything's going to be fine. And I'm kind of explaining like, you know, ward catheters and stuff. So I just essentially just use the whiteboard and I'm just drawing all over the whiteboard, <laughs> not really thinking about what I'm drawing. And it's fine because it's that patient. Patient gets taken care of. Everything's fine. Patient's discharged. <laughs> Pause. Nurse goes in the room with potentially another patient. But what hasn't happened in this story? Whiteboard hasn't been cleaned. No, we clean everything. We clean the everything. whiteboard hasn't been cleaned. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, right. Of course. And it's just like, oh, uh, hmm, hey, don't don't worry about this uh, <laughs> vagina on the wall. Eh, what you gonna do? 
I had something similar happen, but it was even it more. Wasn't, it wasn't a vagina. It was a drawing of a lily. <laughs> was it? Yes. It was I a was, 17th century painting of. Was Cloyster the oyster from Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We all had to take our mandatory social enrichment courses while we were pursuing our science. Sorry, I interrupted. Degrees. I remember. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I had something very similar, even more innocent, though, happen. We, before COVID, had kind of a discharge area in our emergency department where we tried to kind of streamline services for patients with kind of more simple and straightforward complaints. And so if you came in, like in this situation with ear pain, and we knew that there weren't going to be likely a lot of diagnostic studies that would be necessary, we'd put you in that section of the ER and hopefully get you you know, through a lot faster than having to wait for a bed in the other section. And on when you worked those shifts, it wasn't uncommon to see, you know, 20 to 30 patients in an eight-hour shift. And so your nurse is really, like, you're flipping rooms quickly. And so I had seen a patient, it was, I think they were in their early 20s, and they had an ear infection. And so I had drawn on the board where, like the structure of penis. the ear and it looked like a penis. And so I then, uh, it was. because like you draw the outside of the ear, and then you have the tube and the ear, you know, eardrum. And I'm explaining the outer ear and the inner ear and you know how yep, things happen. Yep. And, and the whiteboard again, just didn't get wiped off. Like the rest of the room gets cleaned, but the whiteboard gets forgotten. And um, I go in to see the next patient in there. And it is of course, like a teenager boy who's like oh, laughing hysterically. He's like, why you got penises <laughs> on your board? And that's all he could talk about. <laughs> when a mommy ear and a daddy ear love each other very much. Were you like so offended? You're like, it's an ear. It's an ear. <laughs> and I, now I like tell people, I'm like, remember, I went to school for sciences, not art. So I'm not a very good artist. Fair, but fair. like, I'm going to at least try to show you, you know, like the structures that we're talking about. If that'll help you understand, but don't laugh at me. <laughs> Should have been like, yeah. if yours looks like this, it means you have chlamydia. <laughs> if yours looks like this, it's gonna fall off. Ugh. It's classic ear chlamydia, earmidia. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. You joke, <laughs> yeah. but you know that's a that's been a diagnosis before. <laughs> Somebody but somewhere has chlamydia in their ear. Mm-hmm. And if you're a listener and you have ear chlamydia, don't. We're not making fun of you. <laughs> we love you. What a good place to stop, you guys. We are so good at communicating. <laughs> we're the best. We're well, the best. We're the best. We, everything except you, uh, cleaning off the whiteboards. Yes, that's the one thing that we're not good at. We're going to work on it. So, well, we are, every as normal, we are going to continue to work and strive to do better. That's our goal. But this this uh, session of uh, Epinef, friends, thank you for listening in. We love you guys. Be smart, be safe, and uh, have fun in that order. And... See you next time. And thank you for listening once again. Remember that though we are medical professionals, we are not your medical professionals. So if you have actual medical questions, please go to your actual medical doctor. Also remember that these stories are changed from the originals to protect the innocent. Remember to be safe, be well, and have fun in that order. And we'll see you next Monday. Bye for now. Vibritos are fine.